what, what we had to start with was to define a good impact. So to define a good impact, it's, it's four things. It's comprehensive. A good impact is comprehensive. It goes until the job's done. It has to be long-term, so it has to be available for as long as you need it. Should be inclusive, so we don't care how people come to need help. And the final thing is that it's high output for low input. And you can only achieve that by having people do what they're really good at. Hey guys, I'm Dan Brophy and this is the Quit Your Day Job podcast, a podcast for frustrated creatives. Now, this week I'm chatting to Josh Reed Jones of the not-for-profit Just Be Nice. Now, Just Be Nice looks to matchmake charities with people who have skills that they want to contribute to the not-for-profit space. And the thing about Just Be Nice is it's a world leader. There is literally no other business in the world that, that offers this service. And one of the many reasons why I wanted to chat to Josh is because he has been really disruptive in a space that isn't as efficient as it needs to be. The not-for-profit charity space is full of good intention, but just not enough disruptive thinking. And I think there's a lot to be gained for the idea of thinking creatively about how you can make change in an industry that you're passionate about, no matter what that industry happens to be. I love talking to Josh because he is just an inventive, creative, interesting, far out kind of guy. And I think that you'll get a lot out of the conversation regardless of where your interests lie. And in other news, I started an IGTV vlog in the last week in which I am going to answer every couple of days a different question submitted by you as to your creative process, blockages, challenges, business worries, focus concerns, self-doubt, negativity, you know, all those things that creatives face. And the thing is, we all think we're alone, but ultimately everyone suffers the same experiences as a creative. The problem is usually you're working on your passion project by yourself in silence, in isolation. And it's really easy to forget that we all do experience the exact same challenges with the work that we do. So check that out on IGTV and slide into my DMs, submit a a question or a problem that you're having within your practice and process, and I cannot wait to answer it. Please enjoy my chat with Josh Reed Jones of the not-for-profit that has single-handedly revolutionized the way charities can do business if they choose to, just be nice. When someone says, hey, what do you do? Yeah. What do you tell them? I tell people that uh, I help people to help people. And then they say, what does that mean? They say, what does that mean? Yeah, basically. And uh, I guess I usually tell them that what I do is people say they want to do something like they want to have a positive impact in the world and they're not sure how to do it, whether it's a person who does something or it's kids or it's a business. And I go in and, and sit with them or the business or whatever, find out what they do already, what they do, what they're good at, how that works, what matters to them, and then we use that, use their lives in a way that helps people that need help. So we take their skills and we use them in a, in a system of assistance for people who are experiencing disadvantage for a whole variety of reasons. And where did that, that journey begin for you? Uh, it, there's no like epiphany moment. You know, a lot of people, I guess, in the space of trying to help people will say that they saw a thing and then they sort of had this epiphanous moment and they went, oh, I felt compelled to do something. Um, But mine has been almost like a lifetime of trying to understand why people don't get the help that they need when they need it for as long as they need it. They might get a little bit of help. They might get some late. It might not be at the right time. It might not go as long as they need it. Like... And they get spot help. So what, what, what's getting in the way of people getting the help that they need when they need it for as long as they need it? And so living my life and doing my things always with that in mind and believing that the best way to do something epic is to be really good at something. Like whatever you're really good at, that's where you're going to be able to do the most good. So go out, be really good at stuff and try and work this out. And um, yeah, so and then, you know, it's probably 12 years of conscious effort on that part and you know here we are with the just be nice project you know doing that and so was there a you know your awareness around 
why are people not able to get the help that they need? What were some of the earlier examples of that? Did you find yourself as a kid getting frustrated because you were just seeing people in need uh, going without? Yeah, there's a bit of that. I think it's also like, it was a bit attitudinal. So seeing people that work hard, good people, that could just, could benefit so exponentially from a little leg up at the right time and seeing how damaging it is to not get that. Um, that definitely was something that, I, you know, I don't think consciously I thought of at the time, but was definitely something I've seen a lot of, you know, sort of single mum working really hard where a couple of little chop outs here and there might have made a massive, massive difference to what was possible for, for us, you know, as kids. But then taking, I guess, an experience in my life or, you know, set of experiences that maybe weren't so positive. And instead of focusing on just how that, like what that means to me and how I feel about it, just going, man, everyone's got their worst, you know? And they come to it from so many different ways. Like, and we can't rote learn everything that could possibly upset someone or go wrong with someone. So why don't we just have a system that does a better job of helping people when they need it regardless? You know, whether you're formerly a very affluent and successful person who's fallen on hard times for whatever reason, like, should we, dis- should we just discount the fact that they don't need help because they had a crack or someone who's like in a really bad way and doesn't understand what it means, you know, to get a, a leg up because they haven't been shown what's possible as a result of it, so they don't get it. And so then do we let them just hang because, you know, oh, well, you should have recognized this great opportunity. And I think like, I'm kind of systems in my head, you know, I, I like things to make a bit of sense. And, and I was like, it's the infrastructure of the way that we help people like that. When it comes to human help, it's so different to how we do so many other things that we need to fix that infrastructure and allow it to have that flexibility to deal with whatever 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 reason somebody's you know fallen on tough times and so i guess for me it was about taking it all the way back to understanding what a good impact is you know what what opportunity means what what you know what disadvantage is and and how people come to experience it and what what happens in the current system and then define everything really clearly and work with that so here's the framework instead of gaming it and you know what are the what are the key things that are missing in this system that we don't have let's fix it and let's build a new one and what is just be nice when someone you know wants to find out about the company or the project the movement yep uh, how do you explain it to them we basically always prefix it by saying we have a pretty terrible elevator pitch you know it's it, it requires a different understanding of help um, to what most people have um, but essentially we manage resources into impact so you know people uh, allow us um, to, uh, you know, come in and find out. First, we identify the resources people have. It could be their staff, it could be money they're spending on things, it could be their space, where they are, their clients, the people they know. There's a whole bunch of things, you know, that, that we can count as resources. It could be these chairs, you know, if, if we work with somewhere and they need, you know, eight chairs and they're just down the road and I know you've got them, you didn't think you'd be able to help people by just loaning them some chairs for two hours. But because I know you've got the chairs and I know where you are, we can hook that up and that might make a huge difference for you know that hour of the day for those people. So we identify that and then we manage it, you know, and everything's really upfront at the beginning. So we go, this is what we're gonna do to manage the external impact, what you guys can do to help people outside of your organization or what you can do to help people that aren't you. And here's the internal impact. This is how it can benefit what you do every day or benefit you as a person based on things that you've told me matter to you, not just some generic, oh, you'll get a Word document you can put at your reception desk or we'll just shout you out on Instagram or something. It's like maybe there's other things that really matter to you and, and, and matter to your business and matter to you as a human and we're gonna make sure that you get those back. So you're always doing what you're good at to help people and the better you are at what you do, the more you can help people not you do what you do every day for work and where you put all your effort and then we tack a little transaction on the end here that's like something good you can do later on like go work in the soup kitchen for 20 minutes or you know go plant a tree or something you've got all these skills you've got all this opportunity you've got all these resources if we use those you'll be able to do much better we'll be able to use them for the long term and if we're returning value to you and using it in a way that makes sense to you and benefits you you'll be engaged for a long time 
and that that's how we build like attitudinal change as well as you know actual positive impact for people who need help so that, that's i think where a lot of people probably have a, an outdated way of thinking if they do get moments of aha like i want to give back mm-hmm. you know i've even most recently just been like have constantly been riding my bike past people doing food food trucks for mm-hmm. the homeless and thinking to myself man like that looks like a really great way to do something for people who need it mm-hmm. and then you know my background is not in that i have no experience in hospitality i just like the idea because i just rode past it yeah. and it seemed like a cool thing so i literally in the last 10 days have been on websites looking for ways in which to contribute my time to do that but now that i'm saying it out loud i'm thinking well because that isn't really my area of expertise but i'm a videographer and i work in sharing ideas in this space and i know multimedia hey like maybe you know like homeless teenagers would probably benefit from those skills in terms of going hey like why don't you tell your stories so let me help you with some equipment or you know why mm-hmm. don't you do something that allows you to feel empowered to get work in a media space or something that actually is amplifying what comes naturally rather than stepping out of it to go to this you know other form yeah. of doing what i think helps um what are some of the more undervalued resources that people have but don't think are that worthwhile until you can step in front of them and show them how to be more effective i think skills like generally excellence is undervalued people don't understand the value of being really good um, at something and understanding that whatever you do isn't the answer it's not changing anyone's life you know if you tried to build a house and you only paid a plumber you wouldn't get a house you know and it doesn't matter if you're really great at plumbing if you come at the wrong time if you put in the wrong thing if you do it on and you don't finish the job you don't have anything of value at the end of it what people need to be prepared to do is say these are my skills this is what i'm really good at which first of all is really hard for a lot of people they're not used to telling people what they're really good at you know they're used to saying hopefully this makes me feel good you know but then the other thing is to is to is to i guess kind of in a in a really humble way go I can only be a part of a process that hopefully leads to a great outcome for someone who needs help. And my part of the process is always the best thing I can do is do what I'm good at as part of that process. Giving people soup or feeding people is lovely, but if that's all you do, you're not fixing anything. You know, filming someone and telling a story about them today is possible, but it doesn't do anything unless it's part of a process that means this person gets from A to a better place. So where there's a lot of systemic issue is that to get people to care in the first place what a lot of charities do is they go for sentiment and it has to be really quick because people's attention spans quite short it has to be highly emotive so often it's very visual and they're going to ask you for something very quickly and the things that have been sold to the general public as disadvantaged for the last you know 3 or 4 decades sick kids in hospital Homeless people on the street, you know, beards and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, kids out in in the red dirt. You know, you know, indigenous kids or kids of color in other countries or you know, kids that kind of look a bit skinny. That's kind of like what you see. That's what's sold as disadvantage. You see it, you get it, you look at it. Now people think that's disadvantage. So when we talk about homelessness, for instance, about a hundred and a little bit under one hundred twenty thousand homeless people in Australia at the moment. Which is like reasonably large number. They're not all rough sleeping. They're not all the guys that sleep on the street. There's a few different kinds of dis- homelessness, you know, overcrowding, you know, temporary housing, things like that. So we've got about 100, 100, 120,000, a little bit less, you know, 20, 30, something maybe 40,000 at worst are sleeping rough, not, not quite half. And that's homelessness and you think about just t- take a moment to think about the inordinate amount of t- attention that gets in newspapers and because it's very visual and because people have to walk past it and deal with it and you know oh my goodness i have to see a homeless guy and it ruined my day 2.6 million australians live below the poverty line in contrast to the very visible 40,000 that sleep on the street and 2.6 million is t- uh, one tenth of the country one tenth then you take the next 2.6 million who are just on the other side of the poverty line and you're at one in five people who are within this much of like really significant economic distress are they any less deserving of help 
You know, is, is your help more valuable in that space? Potentially, absolutely. You know, because they're a little bit closer to being independent. They maybe require a few less interventions. The, the, you can probably do, be a part of a, a shorter process because it's like a renovation instead of building a brand new place from scratch or whatever. There's a little bit less that you have to deal with. There's a one in five, that's disadvantage. And that's one kind. That's not including the one in five people that's gonna have a mental health episode this year and the people close to them. That's, a, we're nearly up to half the people in the country, you know, including the people close to the people that are having a tough time. That's not including the fact that by the time you're 85, nearly all of us will have some kind of cancer episode. You know, and in two or three iterations, we're at over 100% of people that are gonna have something happen. So why don't we just acknowledge something's gonna happen? And why don't we just have systems in place to help people regardless? Doesn't matter if you end up homeless, doesn't matter if your wife leaves you or your husband leaves you or someone passes away suddenly or someone takes their own life or you get sick from cancer or you get this or, you know, one in four people I think carries like this cystic fibrosis gene. So there's a chance there of that, you know, and, and any myriad other, you know, difficulties that people are having, well, okay, we can spend our time trying to single out every single iteration or we can just say there needs to be a system that just deals with people need help. You know, and if you went to hospital you, with cancer, you'd get treated for 20 years if, you, if it kept coming back. But if we take someone off the street and put them in a rooming house and then say, well, you could go to TAFE and they don't go every week, people are like, see, what's the point? What's the point in helping this person? They don't want to help themselves. When there's actually a whole bunch of other things that need to be taken care of before that. And where, where, where people, I think, sometimes miss a really integral part of, of being able to do good work is in this attitude that isn't some help better than no help. But if you're homeless and you're sitting on the street and every day someone comes up to you and says, Dan, tell me your story, man. What's going on? You tell me and I go, oh, it's terrible. It's tragic. You know, wow, you seem like a nice guy. I'd love to help you. And nothing happens. Or I bring you a sandwich and I'm like, yeah, cool. I did a great thing. Eventually, when people come up to you, you're just like, nothing's gonna happen. And it takes, when, when someone comes to you who can actually do something, maybe even in the long term, your trust in the process is so low that the first step now is to actually build the trust back up again, get you engaged again, and then start with an intervention. And that's because of everyone's like good intentioned chats beforehand, where it's like, no, not everyone's, not every bit of good is doing good. Sometimes it's very damaging. In the same way that if you saw maybe, you know, 50 charlatan healers before you got to the doctor and every one of them said they'll cure your cancer. By the time the doctor came along and said, no, no, we've got all the stuff. You'd be like, I don't know, man, 50 people have told me they've got it. I kept on getting my hopes up. Yeah, and, and I'm being let down and I'm sick and I just think I just can't be bothered with it. It's too hard and it's too much of a heartbreak, you know? And that's, that's a real thing. That's a real thing for people. So first of all, people need to understand that, you know, there are people who know about how to help people. You know, that's what we do. And just because you've seen cancer doesn't mean you know anything about treating cancer. In the same way that just because you've seen a homeless person doesn't mean you know anything about helping homeless people, you know, or you've seen someone, you know, who gets sick, you're like, all of a sudden, oh, I know everything. You don't know anything about it. You know, the guy, went to doctor, the guy went to medical school for 25 years to learn how to treat this thing. You've seen it and had an emotional response to it, but it doesn't mean you know how to treat that necessarily. It might inspire you to learn and that sort of thing, which is fantastic. But on the day or at that moment, you're just another person that's seen a thing. And if you can contribute your skills in a way that lead to a really great outcome for people, and for us, it's, it's about getting people housed, employed and having good mental health. That's like the line in the sand. So that's the level of opportunity everyone should get to. Then, you know, you can absolutely be an integral part of it. In the same way that if you just have a plumber building a house, you won't have a house. But if you try and build a house without a plumber, it's not much of a house. You know, you need to be there when you're needed, as often as you're needed, until the job's finished. And that's, that's the key to really doing, having a really great impact. And so when people are keen to put their hand up and do those things, and that's why it's really important to make it, have that internal impact, make it valuable to you, so you can be there for 10, maybe 10 things. Maybe it'll take... 10 things. Maybe the story we're telling is, is about a four year transition for somebody. And the valuable part is at the end bit, but the documenting of it the whole way along creates something really special, you know, that really helps, you know, people understand. But you've got to be into it for four years to, to do that. And people have no, cons like, it's so hard to commit to something next month. Yeah. You know, um, 
So, or how many? So, how many iterations of process of reinvention did you need to take things through until you arrived at Just Be Nice? It wasn't really. I don't think like reinvention so much as just taking things into the triaging through the space, you know, and saying always I like to take existing stuff and make it better. Is it possible or is it not possible? Not really possible. Why isn't it possible in the first instance, say, of improving non-profits? Because people's understanding of, of why they're needed and how they should work is very, very poor. There's no incentive in the current system of non-profits to be better at helping people. There's heaps of incentive in making people feel like they're doing a really good job when they're not doing anything at all, you know? So that's kind of backwards to me. And that prevented it from being the vehicle to do heaps of good. And it's also really competitive, which again gets in the way of doing better work for people who need help. Um, and, it, and because people's understanding is poor of it, that's not the way to do it. So we just kind of worked through all of those things up until we get to this point where really the, 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 the foundation uh, of the Just Be Nice project is built on what can, what, can we, what can we bank on every day? What can I bank on? Because if we don't have you know, a process that can last for 20 years of development to develop at-risk communities or generational disadvantage issues or the education system, which is like, needs slow support tweaks over a long time. It doesn't really just, you can't just hook 90 degree turns in these instances. How do we build something that we can, that we can look ahead and say, yeah, this could work for 20, 30 years. And the, the principle that we kind of settled on was that well, every organization, every business has a profit motive. From the beginning of time to the end of days, they, they want to make a profit. The places that have the most resources to do the most good are the biggest businesses on the planet. There's no question, you know, but at the moment it's not worth their while to invest that and they don't know how to do what they do in a way that also helps people. So we do, you know, so let's do that. You know, when C CBA or Westpac or Apple or Google or whatever get on board, they're bringing 20, 30,000 employees a piece. They're bringing billions of dollars of infrastructure and, and, and things and branches and opportunities all over the place. Whereas in the nonprofit sector, you've got about 600,000 nonprofits in the country, which is like one for every 40 people. There's about 50 odd thousand, you know, let's say nearly 60,000 registered with the ACNC, which is like the national body for charities and nonprofits. So it's one for every 400 people. What are they doing? You know, what on earth are they all doing? There's so many, but not much is the answer. So that's what, where we sort of took that. And I guess that came from my, my work and background. You know, I, I went to uni and I did, um, I did an arts degree. I did a double major in media and communications and philosophy and an English literature minor. But at the same time, I did a carpentry apprenticeship. So I'm a carpenter by trade and I had a construction company for a number of years. And I played music professionally. I played a lot of football at the time as well. That helped sort of make, pay my way through being an apprentice and all that sort of stuff. I worked in hospitality, had the bar jobs and, you know, delivered pizzas and did all that kind of stuff. I've always worked since the day I could possibly work. And then uh, I started a clothing company and I ended up selling my construction company and doing this sports clothing company full time, which still goes now. It's called Odin Sports. It still runs. What's it called? Odin Sports. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you know, I have a gym as well and, and sort of had that. I've had that for maybe five years now as well. My brother runs that now, which is cool. Um, so it's called Jones Brothers Gym and that's just in Melbourne. And, you know, in there, there's been a whole bunch of other things, little bits and pieces, you know, that I've done in the, in the space, working with people in different programs and all How these kinds now? of things. 32. God, what a varied and, yeah. you know, exciting life you've lived. And it's so funny that all, you know, your side hustle has been this really great, uh, we've had multiple side hustles interweaving, yeah. <laughs> it sounds, but it sounds like the, the preoccupation to then find a way to nail this problem yeah. has always been there in the back of your mind while you were doing did you feel like because you've said that you've described a lot of things that that, that sound really fun and, and rewarding for a different way you know playing music starting a clothing label starting a, opening a gym yeah playing football did you feel like those things by comparison were, were not enough and that you needed to, to find something that gave you satisfaction in a, a broader scope I think that I just have had this like relentless um, sort of drive to 
to be subjectively good at stuff. Uh, yeah, sorry, be ob- objectively good at stuff, not subjectively good at stuff. And I always thought that the way for me to do that was to um, do it until someone would pay me to do it. You know, like if I'm good enough that people will pay me to do it, then I don't have to like just say I'm good at something and, you know, it's kind of based in just, oh, I could be that good or if I tried a bit harder, I'd be better at it or whatever. Um, and, I, and I really think that the way to, to have a big, good impact in any capacity is to first of all be really good at something or maybe really good at a whole bunch of things, whatever, but you're not going to be able to do much if you're not very good at anything. It's very hard to have a big impact. And so I've, I've had patience in the doing of the, the help in, in terms of just taking the time to make sure I really know what I'm talking about and be really good at things. That kind of trying to respect the the opportunities that I have maybe with some aptitudes that I was fortunate to, to have has always driven me to just go and like if I'm doing something go out and smash it just work really hard and, and try and be awesome at it and I think that's partly because I saw people sort of not make the most of their abilities and you know, I always found that really frustrating to watch and I see other people make the most of their abilities and and that where they can get to is maybe not quite as high and I think those are the people I respect you know so I don't want to disrespect the opportunities that I've been given by by not making the most of it and doing my best. And I think there was like a bit of a scarcity um, worry. You know, we 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 had no we were busted ass poor kids, and we, you know we had no money and noodles for dinner all the time, and pants that don't fit, and holes in your shoes, and all that kind of shit. You know, and and I was always really concerned that you know who's going to look after mum. You know, like when she gets a bit older. You, you, you know what's the deal you know who's going to look after everyone and so i've always wanted to i guess i had like a bit of a fear of not not being able to afford everything and that you know that would like that would be a thing that would happen so i just kind of was like well work work your way out of it work work really hard and uh, make the most of those aptitudes and opportunities that you're given so yeah it's a bit of a weird combination of a whole bunch of things i think that sort of led me to do that and then things just popped up you know things just popped up and I was like cool that's what I'm doing I love competition love getting into stuff you know there's really positive and, and, and wonderful aspects about all the things I've done there's been some pretty horrible things as well that have happened in there too but you know in the end I get to sit here chatting with you and so you know it can't be that bad you know it's, uh, we're doing alright when you played music what were you playing uh, mostly I played percussion um, but I played uh, bass and, and guitar as well and do a little bit of electronic stuff at home and I started off on the violin when I was a kid at primary school for a bit much to the probably dismay of anyone who had to listen to it it was shocking <laughs> so bad but yeah I started playing problems maybe about 11 when I was in high school and um, yeah just kicked on my old man was a professional musician so I think maybe I just picked up a little bit of aptitude in that space and always enjoyed it and yeah. were you getting with a band and yeah all? yeah so when i when i sold the construction company and went to odin full time i actually paid the bills by gigging i've been fortunate i've played in a handful of countries and and uh you which, know which band oh just with uh, so my ex-girlfriend was a musician i played with her a little bit back in the day and uh and i played with a couple of bands delsinki shout out to delsinki legends over there they provide music for the, for the music uh, for the videos and stuff sometimes too and those legends and uh you know and then just like covers in pubs and you know that sort of stuff some weddings and, and stuff like that so Love it. yeah and so once you uh what were the earliest iterations of like what was it what, what was just be nice in its embryonic stages what did that look like very first thing was to put my own shit on the line and just put my own companies on there and and sort of show that taking an existing company at scale and and then using what happens to do good is better than a duplication or starting a new thing and having that burden of doing a good thing on top of it. Because as much as every social enterprise or whatever they want to call it, you know, comes out and says, well, we've got this purpose. The purpose is to make money. If you don't pay the bills, there's nothing after that. And if you put an undue amount of stress on your organization by saying, we're going to give away 30% of this, or we're going to do all this, we're only going to employ homeless people or whatever it is, Oftentimes, it doesn't work and they rely on charitable donations, you know, where it's better to take something that exists and make it do better. So at Odin, we started doing every single item of clothing that we sold for the Just Be Nice project. We would give the same item away to people who needed it. Hoodie, if you buy a hoodie from Odin, we give a hoodie to someone who needs a hoodie. 
it's not ambiguous. It's not some bullshit like uh, profits go to or we're going to do a couple of things with someone. So if, if, you buy, if you buy an outfit, someone gets an outfit. Full stop. That's it. End of the story. And no one does that. And we were doing that for, we've been doing it for years and years. And that, you know, was one of the you know, programs out of the gym, you know, stuff like that, doing work with organizations that already existed in the context of some of the help we were already doing. All those sort of things, we just put it up and said, look, you can do this, but if you start an organization, if you tried to start a clothing company and said, oh, for every hoodie we sell, we're giving one away, you wouldn't last. Plenty have tried and they just fall apart because it's a, it's a massive, massive commitment and it's expensive. So do you think the only reason that it worked with Odin was because you were a pre-established Because we were company? already up and about, 100%, no question about it. Yeah, there's been other organizations that have traded very heavily, kicked off that way, and then very quietly just stopped doing that because, oh, we've got to pay ourselves, oh, we've got to make money, you know? And it's like, okay, but the only reason anyone cares about what you do was the big song and dance you made at the beginning that you were doing this thing. And you very quietly stepped back what you're doing to something that could easily be done at scale by an existing organization. And you're actually taking away from them now by starting a new thing that doesn't really do a good job of anything in the space. Whereas when you go into someone that's already, that's already up and about and you start it, all those startup costs, all that sort of stuff that happens at the beginning, all the stress and, and, and the, the difficulty that you get into at the beginning, you don't have to worry about it. It's just about taking a thing that works and, and making it better and, and helping it be. And it doesn't have to be so transactional. It doesn't have to be like a one-for-one one thing. That's just where it works for us and it was something that we were keen to do. And obviously, I run the joint so I can make a decision on that. But in other places, it's other things, you know, it's other things. And um, People, I imagine, would also enjoy the transactional nature of I can see what I'm giving from what I'm getting, yeah. you know, it makes a lot of sense. And also this is bringing me joy. I like the idea that it's going to bring someone else joy when they receive the thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, also probably the thing that, that makes people not contribute more is the feeling of futility, but there's actually quite defined utility in knowing that the, the one for one makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think also people feel disconnected because it is something else. Whereas when it's something that you're good at, like all of a sudden, you don't do your job and then something good. If you can make it part of what you do every day and it's really relevant to you, then you, you get that long-term sort of engagement that gives you that sense of purpose again. Like we're trying to make it so the better you are at your job, the more people get help. So the, you have an incentive to be better at your job that isn't just make more money or be better at your job. Like people literally benefit from you being more excellent. And we benefit from asking better questions about how you can help. You know, so you, if in a traditional sense, you might have, you might love tennis, right? And you might think that's the answer for helping at-risk kids and that's fine. And you might not ask that many questions and you go, Josh, you're a fit guy and you know, your hand-eye coordination's all right. I go, yeah, yeah. Go, have you ever played tennis? So well, I've played a little bit and you go, cool. Well, can you coach these kids to play tennis? And it's two suburbs over from where you live and this is the thing, right? And it's going to be so great and I'm going to tell everyone you're great, whatever. And I go, okay, uh, I'm a nice guy. I might do it for a little bit. But the truth is I'm terrible at tennis. I had a couple of lessons, you know, with a guy that I knew back in the day and whatever, but I'm terrible. They're gonna get worse at tennis. And I've got to go out of my way and I've got to do all this stuff. If you just asked a few more questions, you know, are, are you any good at footy? You know, do you play another sport? So maybe I play footy. Where do you play? So I play here. Okay. What we would do is ask those questions and say, well, there's actually, you know, there's a, a person nearby who's got a young kid, could be two, could be 12. Would you mind going to footy training like 30 minutes early on a Tuesday and just kicking the footy with this kid? And I go, I can, I've got to go, to, I'm going to footy training every week. I'm really good at it. I can, I can teach someone how to kick a footy. I know what I'm doing. And all I have to do is be 30 minutes early one day a week to somewhere I'm already going. I can keep that up all year. No worries. Easy. I have to pick another day, go two suburbs over, teach kids something I don't understand. That's not a great use of my time. And it's hard then, you, you feel disconnected. You know, whereas, yeah, great, me being good at footy, me being a bit better at it, me having a few more things to talk about, you know, I'm, it helps. It helps me to do more good. And it's only a small part of a process. You know, it's one part of a process to maybe help this kid get from A to B and help his mum or dad get from A to B or whatever it is. But it's something that I can do really easily, so it's not a big deal, you know, and that's, where, that's what we do. We get in the middle there. We do those things and make sure that, righto, well, 
that makes sense to you and you can keep doing it. That's the most efficient. I mean, I always try to facilitate creativity through processes that are already taking place. Or mm -hmm. if I'm going to commit to a new process, I'll tack it on to lunch or something yeah. that's, yeah, you yeah. know, I'm not allowed to, like, for example, my meditation process kicked off because I, I had to wait for the coffee to boil. Yep. And so I was like, well, I've got five minutes while that happens. I'm going to turn the heat way down low. That'll give me a 10 minute window until awesome. I, until that comes up. The reward is clearly there. Yeah. And you know, it's probably good for me to try and meditate before I have coffee. Yeah, so that's that, right. You know, so that, <laughs> so I think if you can actually like, I mean, I, I would always recommend the path to least resistance when introducing yeah. some sort of new commitment that makes a lot of sense. And so at, for your journey to get from the very beginnings of imagining what difference you could make in this space, did you, what were some of the, the hurdles you had to overcome or processes of refining the concept before you landed and before you've defined yourself in this space? There's a lot of hurdles, um, mainly we're operating in a space that people think they know about and they don't. So it's, I, I imagine it's like being someone in a, in like a food health space. It's battling a lot of misinformation and a lot of reinforcement around things that aren't necessarily actually helpful. You know, obviously I see it a lot in health and fitness in the same sort of way that people sell really short term things and say, this is the answer, you know, drink this thing for 12 days and you'll be ripped or, you know, do this two day challenge, you'll be jacked and all this kind of stuff. And it's not realistic, but people kind of bounce around because it sounds good, you know. So misinformation is one thing that is we're always battling. Um, when I say that we help people help people, people go, oh yeah, I know someone who does that. And I say, you absolutely do not know anyone who does this. We are the only people to do this on the planet like this. No one does it this way, but I don't blame anyone for not knowing. There's no way to know, you know. What, what we had to start with was to define a good impact. So to define a good impact, it's, it's four things. It's comprehensive. A good impact is comprehensive. It goes until the job's done. If you go to hospital with a broken leg and I give you a beanie and a soup and leave you, job's not done. And you have every right to expect that you get your leg fixed before they discharge you, right? So, and in the medical space, we expect that. So it has to finish the job. We have to get you back to health and then maybe the beanie and the soup's useful afterwards. Um, it has to be long-term. So it has to be available for as long as you need it. So when you take someone from the street who at 37 has been homeless for 20 years, has suffered extraordinary amount of trauma in their life up to that point, before they were homeless and after being homeless, drug and alcohol abuse, maybe mental health issues, maybe abuse at home beforehand, a lack of education because they were missing a bunch of stuff as kids. That intervention to get them back to this place where they're you know, maybe slightly employable and, and how it can be somewhere housed safely and, and their mental health is okay, that might take 10 years. Okay, we should have provisions for that. So it should be long-term, it should be available as long as, as long as it's needed. It should be inclusive. So we don't care how people come to need help. There is a space for exclusive organizations. If you have a real understanding about handsome men with ponytails, I would say there's no way in ever would we, would we just fundraise just to look after. it to a community that we don't that we don't I don't want to go and spend heaps of money learning about it you already know but all our resources shouldn't go there they should go here and if we've got the available resources to help you they're available to you but if someone else comes along you know and it's curly-haired people well they also have access to it in the same way that if you go to hospital with a broken leg and they say how'd you do it if you say skateboarding they don't go we don't do skateboarding broken legs we only do surfing broken legs you got to go somewhere else like if we have the resources, of course we'll help you. If we don't, we may have to send you to another hospital, but it's not because of how you broke your leg, it's because we don't have the available resources. So a good impact is inclusive. I don't care how people come to need help. And the final thing is that it's high output for low input. And you can only achieve that by having people do what they're really good at. And that way we get real bang for buck. If I did a tax return, take me forever. And it would probably be wrong. If an accountant does a tax return, it's 20 minutes and they got it right. That's high output for low input versus low output for high input. And so when you go through that, there are things that have very low impact. Not no impact, 
but just low impact. So if you and I get inspired today and decide we're gonna do something great, we decide to pull our money and go to India and dig a hole for a septic tank and kick a footy with a kid. Well, first of all, we wasted heaps of money. So that's really high input to kick a footy with a kid. Not comprehensive, we haven't solved the problem. Not inclusive, it's one kid or two kids. And it's not inclusive, you know, and, and it's, a, it's not a terrible experience for the kid, but it's absolutely not the best thing we could do. So it's not no impact, but it's pretty terrible. And, and the other end of the scale, when you look at stuff that's really sort of held up as gold standard stuff, like immunizations, really high output for low input. They're cheap, they're super effective. They're inclusive. You get jabbed with a polio jab, I get jabbed with a, it fixes everybody the same. We don't get polio anymore. Long term, lasts forever, but it's a, almost a zero out of 10 of comprehensive. If we both get jabbed for polio, but we don't have running water, we don't have jobs, there's violence everywhere, we don't have food, okay, we're not gonna die of polio, but there's more work that needs to be done. So it's not comprehensive. So it's almost like a 10 out of 10 for, for you know, three out of the four things, but this other thing requires other organizations or other interventions to finish the job. So we've got a really great organization doing immunizations, but then we need someone supplying water and we need to make sure food supply is good and we need to make sure economic development is happening and education is good. And then all of a sudden we're putting this together in a way it's like the community development, the impact now is really, really great. And so the question you need to ask when you're looking at charities and stuff is just like, and then what, you know? So we give someone soup and then what? Well, nothing. Well, there should be something. What's the next thing? You know, something else should happen. Because if it was my kid and we didn't have money or food or healthcare or education and you just gave him a soup and then wandered off and told everyone to just change his life forever, I'd be like, wait, 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 wait. is there, what else? What's, I need some other stuff as well. I need some help here. And you're like, but we gave you a soup. We're done, you know? And when, once you've defined that impact, that was the challenge. It was the challenge was to make that definition work properly, fill the gap, define it and go after it. And most places, they're, they're, what they're trying to do is based on their intention, what they would like to do. Um, so like, oh, our goal is we don't think anyone should not have a roof over their head or whatever. It's singular. It's based on one particular thing. You know, so you say you want everyone to have a roof over your head. It doesn't mean housing them in a way that's sustainable. It means you build room, big rooms where you can put 30 people in there and say, you've, and technically you've done it. You know, you're putting a roof over someone's head, but it's not solving the problem. And so those things are the things that we're battling all the time because when a, when a city of Sydney wants to invest in homelessness, everyone has to then compete for being the place that gets the funding. They have to tell them the most important intervention. Oh, our, our rooming service is the most important. Oh, our feeding the homeless is the most important intervention. Or oh, our, our clothes washing service or our clothing service is the most important intervention. Well, it's a lot, none of them are. All of them are important, but they're only useful if they all work together. There's no point having a million dollars worth of showers available if there's no food and no clothes and nowhere for them to sleep. What we need to do is take that million dollars, which is what the JBM project does, is take the million dollars, hold everyone to a certain level of accountability, say none of you get paid if you don't work together, so now the competition is pointless, there's no point competing, you're all important, but we don't need a million dollars worth of showers and no money anywhere else. We might need $200,000 here, $300,000 here, $400,000 here, and $100,000 here, and everyone gets, and for the people who get the help, they get a complete outcome, because they get housed, washed, they sleep somewhere, they get new clothes, it's about them. It's not about what we do. It's about whether the person gets the help that they need. So those things are all both really positive and also a challenge to deal with. Because people have very set ideas about like, oh, our thing's the most important thing or the thing I care about is the most important thing or I want to be the hero or whatever it is. And I'm just like, well, I don't care who the hero is. I care if the people get help. You know, let's do that. Let's focus on that. So it sounds like you're laser focused with what your offering is and how you even explain what the offering is to people what did that iteration process look like and is that a technique did you learn the language around being able to describe exactly what your offering is from the gym world from the construction world mm. you know what were the tools that you have picked up along the way that allows you to stand in this 
opportunity now as well as you are? Mate, honestly, it's ongoing. You know, it's like the great challenge for me is always just communicating it better. Um, I noticed really, really, really young that there's a huge disconnect between the conversations that like, you know, for want of a better term, haves and have nots have. You've got this on the, you know, on the have, on the, on the have not sort of side, this kind of attitude of you guys make too much money or give us more money or put more in. And then the other side, you've got these guys saying, and, and you know, obviously this is just, I'm just character, caricaturing the whole thing, but it's kind of like, we'll work harder, we work hard, you know, yeah. sort it yeah. out. Like we took up opportunities, you, they're here for everybody, do it. And it's kind of just a, um, um, a lack of understanding in both ways. And I've been really working on creating a common language to help both sides communicate and understand better that, look, it's not your fault that you grew up in a, in a privileged, resource-rich environment and you don't understand what it means to not actually have those opportunities any more than the guys who grow up in a, in a resource poor environment don't understand what even being the CEO of a bank actually does or is or you know what it means to do accounting or be a lawyer or anything like that or having a job you know so it's trying to find a, people's understanding from their point of view every time and generally like a general discussion of what we do usually comes back to those kind of definitions of good impacts and how to be happy and how to find that purpose and you know what it means to help people and how that should look when I know specifically who I'm talking to which is why we go in and find out about people I can target it straight into what they do every day make it really relevant Um, but I think that the there's a massive part of it for me like where I and I, I use it all the time it's like we're like the builder you know like we're like the builder that make sure all the trades get there in order. Well, that's what I want to know because I, you know you've said that what what JBN is doing is not being done by anyone else, not only in Australia but in the world right yeah. now. What's your X Men special skill set that has allowed you to come up with and operate this worldwide unique project? I, I think that it's just. Uh, just plotting, man. Just plotting away. Like but it's is really. It, is, it a, is it a construction mindset? No, is I don't think a... it is. I think it's just con- it's it's <clears throat> putting in the time. You know, it really is just just constantly just getting after it. And I'm divorced from the from the romance of the being being on the coal face of like the the hand holding part of the help you know this bit you know that bit you just described now is me yeah that's right yeah people and i get it i totally get it you know but there's this kind of impatience that people have around this kind of work and they go i've seen a thing i'm inspired i want to do something Mm. right and that's cool and also you want gratification or you want it i'm a busy person i'm trying to offset my selfishness can't I just like turn up for an hour and have a feeling that makes me feel less like a selfish household? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing, I, I, there's a couple of examples I use. One is that Bill Gates didn't set out to cure malaria, but after years of kicking ass, you know, he, he's so good at what he's done, he's in a position now to knock it out of a handful of countries, you know. Well, is it selfish that he didn't do it the whole time? Or was it totally worth it? Because if he'd set out to cure malaria, he probably would never have got to the position he's in. Is it selfish for a brain surgeon to spend 25 years in tertiary education to be able to do a surgery no one else can do? And I'd say no, absolutely not. Take the time to be really good at it, you know? And at that point, when you're at your best, when you are really good at something, you can have the most impact and you'll blitz the impact of, you know, sort of clipping around the edges for a few years, you know, trying to make yourself feel better. If you really want to respect help, Take the time to be really good at something. That's when you're going to be able to do it. You direct, a, you direct a massive film. You know, you have this great, you know, cut through on something. You be, you grow this massive agency, whatever it is. At that point, you come to me and say, "Dude, I've got 70 people. We're turning over 500 million dollars a year. I've just won a bunch of can lines for my ads. I'm killing it. I'm ready." And I go, "Dude." What we're going to do in the first six months is going to blitz what you were going to do in the two years when you were just hustling to get it all up and about because you didn't have the time, you couldn't have the focus, it's impossible. And now, we're about to knock it out of the park. So who do you want to speak to most then? Is it the people who are finally ready to be able to actually give back something of the what they've been accruing over a longer period? Or are you as ready to connect the dots between people who are on their journey as those who are at the top of their personal peak? 
everyone who gets it and gives a shit is is what we go for. Be- it's just what you're doing is different. The hardest part for me is helping you see that patience is the answer, and absolutely we can help you get there to that point. And I want to because that's better for us. Because the, you know, the better you do, the more help you can give. We want to be a part of that for everybody. Um, people that exist and already there's there's pros and cons both ways. You can build it in at the beginning, which is nice, and that's a great experience for me, and I really enjoy that. Um, existing places are at scale they're big they've got stuff going on but they're typically also slow you know and there's a lot of bureaucracy and things are difficult to move so there's pros and cons both ways what matters to me is that people go okay i get it you know i get and i'm comfortable now to take the time to be patient and do what i can when i can and continue in the time when you're not in my face saying oh my goodness you know dan i need you to do this this and this that you're there when we need you and when we need you, we might need you a lot for a short period of time. And you're like, dude, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Just whatever I can do when I can do it, knowing that it's not about every day, it's not about all the time. I want you to be nice every day. That's what's called the Just Be Nice Project. Everyone can be nicer. Non-verbal kids can be nicer. You know, old people can be nicer. But to, to do good, which is not the same as being nice, you have to be good. That's like the, the step before doing good. Be good. I want to help you be better and I want to help you do more. During the daytime, 24-7, you know, 365, be nicer. Always work on that. Be better. Always try and be better at what you're doing. Be really good at it. And the doing good bit that have that impact, we're gonna be able to we're gonna be able to leverage that all the time. What you're gonna do might change, and what you give a shit about might change, and that's fine, you know, but You've got to be in it for the long term. You've got to say, yeah, sweet, man, this is great. I want, I, want that to, I want this kind of process to be a part of my process and our process. Whether you're small, big, whatever, we're in. And when big guys come to me and they've got lots of stuff they could do, and they're like, we want to just do like a 20-minute day. I'm like, look, man, I would love it. Like, and for me, it would make my life a lot easier if we did it. But it's, there's no integrity in taking that. You've got to come in and let us do what we do, and it's got to be bigger than it's got to be longer than that. You know, it doesn't have to be bigger than that, but it's got to be longer than. Give me something smaller and longer. You know, give me some longer term and a smaller thing. We'll be able to do more with that. You know, we can bank on that. So, people who get it and give a shit. When you were looking to define the offering, where did at what point did just be nice as a title land and what did you look what did you thought about branding wise and lead up to to that super super hard because it was originally a bit of a take on um just do it yeah so that was we originally made a big shirt and kind of looked a bit like that it was just like not just do it it was like just be nice and and that was you know because yeah it's it's what can everyone do you know where's the entry level point and my sort of mantra that had taken me out because oh, what are you, what are you, what's your jam, what's your jam? And, and, and my thing was to create extraordinary positive change in the world by helping people make ordinary positive change. So small tweaks, little tweaks that you were doing, just little ones that all together we're going to be out of. See, where did that come from? I mean, that's a beautiful and obvious sentiment. Saying it in those terms makes sense to me and it's got a lovely poeticism to the way that the, the two sentences sit alongside each other. Is that something that you just came to in your mid-twenties as to the thing that you were going to be championing? I, I think I had the sentiment in me and I had to sit down and go through it. But I mean, I have a, I have a background in communications and writing and do, read a lot and... What, but, do you, 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 what do you study again? Uh, media and communications mm. and philosophy and, and English literature. I can see how all those things really were They kind of work, yeah. yeah. But it, it took a lot of, because it's like, you know, you write something out and it's kind of like, do some good stuff. And you're like, nah, shit. You know, and you kind of, <laughs> and I worked through it. I remember where, I remember the desk I was at, I remember the whole thing and, and it was longer than that and it wasn't quite right. And I sort of got it down to that. And I was like, that's the thing. That's what I'm trying to tell people all the time. And now I can say it in this kind of more elegant way than this clumsy, I'm just trying to help people sort of thing. You know, it sort of gets across the whole thing but it took it took time yeah it took time of just like writing and crossing out and rewriting but also even from like you know i i love i mean this podcast is called quit your day job it's got to me it's sticky it's got cut through the design is every time i tell people what the podcast is called their eyes light up because when you think about it most people do want to quit their day yeah job. and 
Mm-hmm. Then, the, because I thought, oh, I don't want to preach to everyone because people will be like, well, who the fuck do you think you are? Tell me to quit my day job. <laughs> I've got kids in school and, you know, I'm going to go off and join the circus. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, if I asterisk it and say a podcast for frustrated creatives, it allows people to kind of go, oh, that's me. And if that's you, then listen, we've got something to share. Yeah. But I think in terms of working out what my offering was, I just needed to take so many, I had so many iterations of just trial and error before I went, okay, well, I'm basically just wanting to create something to speak to myself five years ago. Yep. And I want to find me at the depths of my lowest trapped in corporate hell and make something to inspire some step in the right direction. Yeah. And so, you know, I think coming with a really strong offer that does take a lot of different reinventions and re-examinings and trials and errors and, you know, thinking, am I even, is it even worth it? Or, you know, all those sort of you know, things that get we'll us in the think, way yeah. of, of doing it. Was there any, uh, were there points along the way where you, where you hadn't quite landed on Just Be Nice yet that you then needed to kind of go back to the drawing board and learn some new things? And, you know, what were the, uh, was there any process that you didn't quite, were there a point, point or, hey, put it this way, how long ago would I have needed, back in time, would I have needed to go to find you at a stage where you're like, I've got this thing, I don't quite know what it is yet, but I'm just looking forward to, I just need to get some more learning around it to yeah. work out what it is. Always need more learning. And so I guess that's part of this whole gen, which is why it's like taking ordinary people, making ordinary change, you know, to, to create extraordinary positive change. Cause it's an acknowledgement that it's, it's, it's a fluid process, you know, as well. And that, that I don't have all the answers and that people's needs aren't all binary and that people's skills aren't always binary. So. That was definitely something, but I, it's so strange. I came across a, a letter to speak to like, you know, when, how far back would you have to go? I found a, a, it was an old card and I think I was maybe 11 or 10 or oh, maybe even younger and it come from my old man. And it basically says in that, it's like, hey, you know, like you're always doing stuff for everybody else. You know, you, you, you go after it and you put a lot of pressure on yourself to do the right thing by everybody and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is a letter to a kid, you know? And I remember I found it because I'd just been, we'd been moving house, mum had moved house. And I was like, this has so just been me forever. Like, I don't even know any, I don't actually know any different. Like, there really was no, like, epiphanous moment. But what, what ha- happens, I suppose, is that over time, by putting time in, much like a surgeon working, getting better and getting better to the point where they can actually perform a thing, they don't do surgeries all the way up to that point. They don't just go, I want to be a surgeon and start. They put time in beforehand. Like, that's what I did, you know, always put the time in beforehand. So that when it came time to actually have to talk about it or bring it up, like I had something. I didn't, I didn't practice in front of everybody. I took that time away from that to listen and learn and go through things and, and, and work it out so that when the opportunity came to speak to someone about it, when the opportunity came up to do something, I was already ready to go. And I think taking the time to do that rather than just like, it feels good, I'm just going to start doing whatever it feels good to, do, to help people, that made, made a big difference in my ability to be able to communicate it and understand it better. What was that opportunity? What was, was there some, did someone come to you and say, I want to help you? Did you have investors? What was the, was, what was the line in the sand of uh, you were ready when an opportunity presented itself, but was there an opportunity that came to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like I should probably have, I should, they're, they're, I should probably know that, but I, I, it kind of was slow, you know? We went straight for, as soon as, as, soon as I was comfortable with the process and the definitions and everything and went, yeah, this is the thing and we've done it ourselves. I just went to the big dogs straight up. Just was like, we need big people. We need people that can get it done. And so none of those processes are quick. (laughs) So you meet with so many people that there's a couple of really good, I guess, you know, uh, moments that were like really built my confidence around very clever people from very large organizations who really know their stuff, have no time for time wasters going, oh, excellent, this is great. Where I was like, oh, thank God. Like, we're on something that if they're interested, then we're doing the right thing. And I remember I had one meeting with probably one of the biggest, um, really early on it was with this woman from, who's a, a national partner at KPMG. And she was head of HR and we had like a little tiny, just, someone had just hustled me this little sliver of time, 10 minutes of her time or whatever. She's a massive deal, you know, got this beautiful office in Melbourne and, and it turned into like 45 minutes and she was like into it and we're on the whiteboard and we're doing a whole bunch of stuff and she's like, fantastic. And for me, I was like, well, to get this person's time, 
this is like seven-figured person time. You know, these people don't muck around. They've got heaps of people work from the responsible for a lot. And to have them get it, I was like, cool. That's when I guess I felt really validated that putting the time in for that opportunity had made a lot of sense. That was probably the, the biggest, earliest meeting that I'd had where they were engaged and, and, and how long it. how long into the journey like how old were you when that happened how long yeah i mean uh it's, i'm really bad backwards but i'm going to say it was maybe i'm going to say it was probably f- four years ago maybe okay. three years ago something like that um yeah and before that we'd been i mean i've done stuff with a whole bunch of smaller organizations uh in my life and they all still mostly still have we still have hands on all of those things you know so and part of our part of the situation was to take the the own offering and let people participate in that. So if you had a gym and you needed gym clothes, you could do. We would pay for everything, and all you had to do was get your members to buy, you know, Dan's gym tops through the JBM project. You wouldn't make any money as a gym, but for everything that you wouldn't cost you anything either, which is a risk for gyms. This was like the value proposition, I suppose. And anyone who bought one would get a Dan's gym T-shirt, which they want, and someone else would get clothing. And so that was like, we started by doing dozens of those. So there was a lot of that happening for five years ago. That's kind of like, was the first lot of things. And then it just, you know, we just kind of... So there was actually, I suppose that's the benefit of having a proof of concept on your own terms. Because then when you are going to sit in front of that, you know, KPMG, KPM genius, you're able to, you know, you've got a proof of concept, you've got a really, you've you've probably had enough time to also refine how the idea is best presented to someone when you've got a 10 minute window of time yeah. to, to pitch the concept yeah absolutely and and you you can go on with some confidence that you you know you've you've actually done a bit of due diligence and that you know you're in it like we're in it like my money's on the line my my everything's on the line for it i'm not just asking you to do something i'm not committed to you know like we're committed the whole way what do you think it is about what the either the way in which you would have explained the idea or the idea itself that would have allowed her to give you that extra 35 minutes of her time had a little bit of an understanding of what they were interested in in the beginning but also very quickly after she dropped a few things that they were interested in was able to explain it directly to what spoke to them 100 percent, that was the difference to do that that's i guess where the advantage of all these years of different experiences and having run different businesses and been involved in different meetings and around different people like you can put things together quickly that maybe other people don't don't see if they're too too narrow in their focus or have had too narrow a scope of experience, you know, in that in that regard. When you're a builder, you're not a well, I am a carpenter by trade, but when you're a builder, you're not a sparky and a plumber and a tiler and a plasterer. But you need to know how to tie it all together. And that's how we operate between business and, and getting these impacts. Is like it's my job to be able to tie as many things together as possible, find as many different tendrils of value and, and impact and possibility in ways that other people can't see or don't know or haven't been to, to see. And to do that, it's just it's just time. It takes time. You've got to go into all these different places and understand what happens at a, a large tier, you know, professional services firm and a bank and a huge infrastructure project and a construction company, you know, and hospitality and be able to bring that together in a way that makes sense. And that's just time in, you know, it really is. So at this point now, with so many years in, you know, we've got a, we've got an opportunity to do stuff that people can't do, because you'd have even if you started today, you're 12 years behind the eight ball on that. Well, I love to end by asking people if I were to bump into you in a year's time, is there one key project that you would love to have nailed in that time to say yes, done? I'm totally satisfied with what is ultimately just a work in progress currently. Yeah. We would love to be managing uh, the social procurement outcomes for a lot of inf- for the inf- large-scale infrastructure projects that are going on around the country at the moment, and trying to tie them all together across the country. So a lot of individual states are spending a lot of money on new roads and rail and you know upgrades and all this kind of stuff. And the way they issue the contracts and and put those things together, helping those companies do a better job of ma- meeting social outcomes, hoping the helping that those billions of dollars of investment do a better job of developing communities that they're building in and making sure that like we start to tie some of the outcomes of the projects together um, where at the moment they're very siloed 
because they're run by different people, different companies and all that. Can sort you of spend thing. a lot of time in Sydney? Because it, yeah. it is a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. New South Wales is particularly bad in pa- that. Uh, pa- Parramatta really wants to have a chat to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, you know, even, you know, KPMG have an office out in Parramatta now. You know, like the west of um, Sydney is like a real growth area for a lot of people. And it's definitely somewhere that we're, we're pressing into and have been doing a bit of work out there as well um, in a few capacities because it's a lot of opportunities. And like I said, they need that help. So uh, that's, that's what we're committed to trying to do. Obviously, big companies, government, you know, large-scale investments and, and a space where people don't really know about it. So it's a lot of work, but hopefully in a year's time, we'll be chatting about how well that's going. It, just, and just to end, when it comes to being nice, is there something that is really overlooked by the average person in their day-to-day? How can anyone just be nice? I think the, the thing that right now is overlooked the most and, and not talked about enough is taking responsibility for people around you. There's a lot of messaging around, if you're having a bad time, come and talk to me. Hey, I'm here if you need me. How, you know, Don't be afraid to speak up, blah, 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 blah. And that is putting the onus on the most vulnerable people, people who are having a tough time, people who aren't in a good space. So I think when it comes to being nice, the, the, the thing that would make the biggest difference is if people took responsibility themselves to, to pay attention every day to other people so that they can step up and initiate the help first instead of just me sitting here and say Dan call me if you're having a bad day I've been paying attention to you for every day and I'm, I've noticed something and I'm going to make the effort I think that is where people could really make a huge difference yeah by taking a bit of that responsibility that is great advice <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. Oh, thank you. Oh, Absolutely. What a joy. No, really thank you so appreciate much. it.